Let's pray together. God, you are uh, so good. And if you agree with that, church, you can just in your own heart just articulate that to the Lord. God, you've been good to me. Hasn't he been good? You can think in this moment of the goodness of God to you and to this church and to your family. God, you are good. And we worship you today. We've worshiped you with our hearts extended and our songs raised. Uh, We're worshiping you now as we pray. And we're going to worship you now as we open our ears and our hearts to the teaching of your word. And we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that we would see even your goodness in this proclamation of truth and that we would see, Lord, the word of God take root in the hearts of your people here at Hope Markham all for the glory of God and for the edification of your church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. 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 You can be seated where you are. I am so uh, privileged to be here with you. Again, my name is Jason Matta. I get the privilege of serving as a senior pastor at Hope Church in uh, Toronto West. We planted our church a little over eight years ago and have seen God do tremendous things among us and have continued to hear about how God is working here in Markham. I have lived in Markham for many years, no longer of course, but for many years I was in Markham and so I know this area very well and have driven by this church so many times I can't even uh, tell you. So it's a, a privilege again for me to be here right now to open God's word with you. So today I want to start uh, with a question. And uh, it's a question that I want you all to consider uh, very carefully. And here's the question. Uh, How are you? You're saying, is is there anything else? (laughs) No, no. That's the question I want you to consider. How are you? How's your heart? How's your spiritual health? How's your family? How are your relationships? You're going to exit in a few moments after the service, you're going to meet with people in the lobby, and they're going to ask you the question, how are you? And and you're going to say, fine, and you're going to walk away. But but I'm asking you to consider this, uh, how are you really? It's an important question. I don't remember a time when it's been more important for me personally to intentionally stop to consider uh, the state of my mind and the state of my own heart. I don't remember a time when it's been more vital for me to both stay up to date with the events of the world and to silence the noise that so burdens my heart each and every day. We're living in strange days. I don't remember a time when it's been more necessary for me to prioritize time alone to reflect and to think and to ask these questions before the Lord. How am I really doing? And at the same time, to prioritize time to connect intentionally with other people and to listen to other believers to hear, how are we doing? Because there's a lot going on in the world, isn't there? I don't remember a time that's more 
polarizing than our time, with more polarizing issues for such a prolonged period of time. Do you remember a time of such polarization in your life like these days? The truth is some of us are so fed up and as we're excited to get back together and restrictions being lifted, that's a good thing. But, but some of us have been so fed up and we don't want to talk about what's happening in the world. Others of us have retreated into apathy and escapism and, and desperately trying to find ways to move on with life. Others of us have no idea how to move on because the last two years have impacted us so dramatically in many different ways. And some of us, we just have such strong opinions about how we should be moving on. Yet it seems that in the midst of all the uncertainty we face, one thing remains certain. I don't know if it's like this for you. It's certainly like this for me where I pastor. It's really hard for people to agree on anything these days. And that, that's hard. I don't bring this up today to uh, thrust us further under the burden of it all, but I do bring this up purposefully in order to prepare our hearts for what God has for us in his word. I, I bring this up today to highlight for us our great need as the church for the passage of scripture we're going to today for Romans 12 and specifically for verses 10 and 11 today. And that's where we're going to be in Romans 12. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote Romans 12. Because there was stuff happening in the church at Rome. And before he addressed things like the way in the church should be handling disputable matters in Romans 14. He needed to lay down some very basic foundations before he got there. And with the pandemic and with vaccines and with masks and with mandates and with protests and with all that's transpired and continues to transpire in our world, um, many of us are struggling in so many different ways to understand how do we handle disputable matters in our families and in our churches? How do we handle issues of Christian liberty in the church? How do we rightly discern if a matter is truly a disputable matter or not? Or if the Bible directly speaks to it, how should we approach these things? How do we get through this time without completely being torn apart? Because there are families that are being torn apart. There are churches Believe me, there are churches that are being torn apart. Loved ones, as more time passes and the issues become in many ways more complex, I believe that our historical moment presents us with at least two opportunities, one negative, one positive. Opportunity number one is sheer chaos. Fights, disrespect, selfish ambition, presuming the worst about others, abandoning friendships, leaving churches, giving up on one another, being impatient with each other, reverting to self-preservation, tribalism, dividing into camps, families being torn apart, as I said, loved ones. The events of our world, certainly the events of the last two years, are a perfect recipe for sheer chaos. Maybe you've experienced it to some extent. But there's another opportunity for us. 
Opportunity number two is the opportunity not for sheer chaos, but the opportunity for true Christianity. Living sacrifices who renew their minds, whose lives are transformed, who rightly discern the will of God, who humble themselves, who are bonded to one another in unity, who use their gifts to serve each other, who love one another genuinely, who hate what is evil, who cling to what is good. That's Romans 12, 1 to 9. The events of our day can be a recipe for chaos, but it can be an opportunity for Christianity. And this is our opportunity as the church of Jesus Christ, I believe. And if you're tempted to think, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, we got to love each other, I, I understand, but I, I need answers to this debate that I keep getting into at work. I, I need answers. I just, I just want to warn you right now, loved ones, if you're thinking that way, here's the truth. You can have all the answers, but if we don't have what's coming to us today in Romans 12, we will lose. And, and, and you can know exactly where you stand on the issues, and I think we must pursue that. And, and you can know exactly how to articulate yourself, and, and we must learn to do that. But if we don't have what's coming to us in Romans 12, we will lose. So this is our opportunity. I want you to take your Bible and go to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. I'm going to start reading from verse 1. To give us some context, take us down to verse 11, then we'll spend our time in verses 10 to 11. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome after 11 chapters of robust doctrine uh, detailing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here in in Romans 12, he shifts to the practical outworkings of the gospel of grace, and this is what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, based on the gospel... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He goes on to say, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And this is where we're going to spend our time this morning. He says this in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So much in 
all of these verses that I've read. And as a church, we're going through it, going from Romans 12 all the way to 16. But I just have time to give you verses 10 to 11 today. And so in it, I want you to know we have an opportunity that I'm praying and have been praying for you, that you as a church will embrace and put your arms around. So I want you to jot this down if you're taking notes. Our opportunity today, we must, number one, we must be a family devoted. This is the word of God for us. This is the word of God for this church. We must be a family devoted. I want you to notice in verse 10 again, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Other translations say, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The idea here is one of devotion, tenderheartedness, and family affection towards one another. It's an exhortation to love one another with the kind of tenderheartedness and affection that families have for each other. That's the exhortation here. Why? Why? Because the church of Jesus Christ is a family. Did you know that? The church is not like a family. No, no. The church of Jesus Christ is a family. 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us that the church of Jesus Christ is the household of God. Or other translations say the, the family of God. In 1 John 3 verse 1, it tells us that God is our father and we are his children. We are a family. In Ephesians 1 verse 5, it says that we have been predestined for adoption as sons and daughters. We are a family. And 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4 tells us that we have all been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that God our Father has prepared and kept for all of his children in heaven. Loved ones, the church of Jesus Christ, the the people in this room who belong to Christ, we're a family. We are the household of God. We are loved by our good and gracious Father. And we're all awaiting a glorious inheritance that he is keeping for us. And so the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 verse 10 reminds us and exhorts us in the midst of all that's going on, In your church, in the midst of all that's going on in society, in the midst of all that's going on in the world, man, do we need this word. He reminds us, love one another with brotherly affection. Love each other like you love your family. Even when we disagree with each other, Even when we fail one another, even when we hurt each other, even when we disappoint one another, even even when we don't see eye to eye on the issues of the day, loved ones, this is so important because I'll tell you how this goes in our culture today and in many churches. If you don't agree with me, listen, I'm out of here. That's how it goes these days. But is that how we... Relate to family? No, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Yes, even when you disagree. 
even when you don't see eye to eye, because just like there are no perfect families, there's no such thing as a perfect church family. I'm telling you, you can go and you can get on a pursuit to find one. It's not there. There's no perfect church. Just like there's no perfect family. So maybe this is a word for someone today. Maybe you've rubbed, you've just, just someone in the church has rubbed you the wrong way or some things that are going on have rubbed you the wrong way and you're just thinking to yourself, you're just, man, I, I just, I feel like I just need to leave. Oh, how many people in churches really across the country are thinking that way? Just like there's no family that's free from dysfunctions, there's no church family that's completely free from its own dysfunctions. Just like healthy families stick together and work together and bear with one another through the storms of life, so the church must stick together and work together and bear with one another through the storms of church life. And, and here's the point, not just when it's easy, Right? Not just when it's easy, because listen, when things are good, things are good. It's easy, right? Loved ones, the true test of our family love towards each other is not when things are going well, but it's when things are hard. A lot of churches, a lot of churches are facing hard things. And Paul says to the church at Rome, who was facing a lot of hard things, a lot of dysfunctions. He says, you got to love each other like a family. Brotherly affection. That's the true test of our devotion and our affection and our tenderheartedness towards one another is when things are hard and even unbearable. A church displays devotion to one another and brotherly love. When things are unbearable, we love each other. We serve one another. We sacrifice for one another. This is our opportunity. In the world out there, it is an opportunity for chaos. And oh, how chaos ensues out there. But in here, our opportunity is to overwhelm chaos with Christianity and love. And grace, so that when people out there are enveloped in chaos, they can look in here and see love and family and joining hands and putting our arms around each other and tenderheartedness and grace. That's our opportunity. We must be a family. Devoted, I pray that that's the case here. Secondly, our opportunity, not only this, we must be a family devoted, but secondly, we must be uh, eager to honor. Eager to honor. Notice verse 10. Verse 10, again, the second part says, outdo one another in showing honor. So I, I went to high school not long, not far away from here. 
And I remember coming out of eighth grade and moving into ninth grade. I loved basketball and I got a chance to play on the basketball team in, in grade eight and entering into grade nine into high school. Again, high school not far from here at all. High, uh, basketball was a big deal in, in my high school. And, and I remember when it came time for the tryouts, basketball tryouts, I remember going to the gym and this gym was a lot bigger than my elementary school gym. There were a lot more guys in the gym that were there for tryouts. And the guys in the gym now in high school, they're a lot bigger than me, a lot taller than me. A lot of them were better than me. And, and when the tryouts began, I remember thinking, man, I got I to gotta stand out. If I'm going to make the team, I have, to, I have to outdo all these other guys. All these other guys, man, there's some guys in here. And they got skills and they have abilities and they're, they're bigger than me. And, and if I'm going to make the team, I have to shine. I have to make sure that the coaches see my abilities. I have to make sure the coaches see that I'm working hard. I have to make sure that the coaches see that I have something to offer this team. And so when the tryout began, that was the mindset of every single person in the gym. Outdo the rest. Make sure that you are noticed. Make sure you are seen. Now, the mindset had to change once the team was put together. Because when the team was put together and all the best players were selected and the team was put together. No longer can you go into the, with the mindset of I got to outdo everyone else. No, now you have to work as a cohesive team. And my position was a position of point guard. And I needed to make sure that in order for me to be successful on the basketball court, I got the basketball to all the best scorers on my team. I couldn't be sitting here saying, I want to score. I want to be on the scoreboard. I want everyone to see me. No, I had to in many ways. Make everyone else around me better. The mindset of the tryout needed to change once you got on the team because all of a sudden you weren't working to outdo everyone else to show that you were good. You needed to work to make others look good so that the team collectively could be successful. I share this analogy, loved ones, because I think that sometimes Christians in the family of God think of themselves more like individuals in a tryout working for individual success rather than family members on the same team working for the best interests of the whole and for one another. I think that this is what Paul has in mind here. Instead of individual Christians working hard to outdo one another in order to receive honor, like in the tryouts, Paul says that genuine love works hard to outdo one another in showing honor. The verse is a tricky one in the original Greek to break down, but the meaning is clear. The idea is of outdoing one another surpassing one another, exceeding one another, literally going before one another in showing honor. That's what we're called to do. So there's a sense of good competition, not for personal gain, but but for the benefit of other people. To outdo one another in showing honor means to prefer second place and to push others into first place. This is what Paul is exhorting the family members in the church to do. Don't work for your own honor. Don't work for your own recognition. Work really hard. Compete with everyone else 
to elevate others. Like this, like this. Someone comes to you and says, ha, I want to honor you. You turn around and say, no, 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 I want to honor you. Or someone comes to you and you're serving in the church. They say, listen, I think, I think you're working so hard. You need a break. And then you turn around and say, no, 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 you're working hard. I think you should take a break. Or someone in the church comes to you and says, hey, I think this leadership role would be good for you. And you turn around and say, are you sure? Because I think you would be really good at that. Or someone in the church comes to you and says, listen, I, I think I may have hurt you when I said that thing last week. Please, please forgive me. And you say, I, I appreciate that. But listen, I, I may have hurt you. Can, can you forgive me? You see, outdoing one another in showing honor. To surpass, to exceed in showing honor. Loved ones, a lot of conflicts in the church get resolved when we have this kind of family love for each other and this kind of mindset of outdoing one another in showing honor. A lot of conflicts get resolved in, in family life when you have that mindset. A lot of conflicts get resolved no matter how big you think the issue is. It may well be really big. A lot of conflicts get resolved when we go in with the mindset that I'm going to outdo this person or that person or this group of people in showing honor. This is our opportunity. In a day and age that we live in where people are obsessed with making their point, that people are obsessed with establishing for themselves a platform, whether it's on social media or YouTube. Everyone wants to make sure their voice is heard. We need true Christianity. I don't need my voice to be heard right now. I want to hear you. I, I don't feel like I need to shout from the mountaintops about what I believe right now. I want to, I want to listen to you. You see? How that kind of Christianity can overwhelm the chaos that ensues when two people or groups of people come at each other with, listen to me, listen to me, I have something to say. This is our opportunity. We must be a family devoted. We must be eager to honor. Thirdly, we must be, jot this down, fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. Look at verse 11. Paul goes on to say, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Do not be slothful in zeal. It literally means don't be a lazy. Don't lack energy. Don't lack enthusiasm. This is a good word for us. I mean, we, again, Coming out of two years of everything's at home. All right, you remember, you remember the lockdowns, everybody's watching church from home and, and everyone's in their pajamas. And, and wow, if there's ever a recipe for slothfulness, right? So what is God saying to us? Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy. Don't lack energy and enthusiasm. Instead, he says, be fervent in spirit. The word fervent, it, it, it grips me. It means enthusiastic, excited, energetic. It carries the meaning of boiling or, or burning in the original language. Be fervent, be boiling, be burning inside. 
the word spirit. It, it can refer to either the Holy Spirit or our inner spirit. Uh, listen to what commentator Douglas Moo says. He translates the verse, be set on fire by the Spirit. Gordon Fee believes that the basic reference is to the human spirit, but with an allusion to the Holy Spirit. Regardless, both are true and consistent, and the idea is clear. Paul is warning us against laziness and complacency, and he calls us to never allow our hearts to lose our fervency, our fire, our passion, our enthusiasm, our energy, our excitement. Have you lost some of that energy and enthusiasm and zeal? And not just some man-made, worked-up energy. Remember, all of this is based on verse 1, the mercies of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ laid out in chapters 1 all the way to 11. We have energy because Jesus saved us. We have zeal because Jesus rescued us from darkness. We have passion to serve him because Jesus died for me and he rose from the grave. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. But for what specifically? Fervent for what? That's an important question because people are getting fired up and passionate about a lot of things these days. People are so fired up these days, they don't even know why they're fired up. And the conversations I have with people, and they're so bent out of shape, and I'm trying to understand, why are you so angry? And they don't even know. So, why should we be fervent in spirit, boiling and burning? Notice the final part of verse 11. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Here it is, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. How do we protect ourselves from misguided passion and misguided enthusiasm without wisdom? How do we guard our lives from a kind of self-centered and self-serving fervency? Because that can creep in. Well, Paul says essentially, he asks the question, is it for the Lord? Is it to serve the Lord? Who is the Lord? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Is my heart set ablaze in service to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is my heart boiling within in service to the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm so happy I just saw that the video announcement that, that they had there and, and that call. I understand what this is like as a church planter. That call for people to serve in Hope Kids. I know what that feels like to be calling people. We need people. We need people. Is there anyone here that has a fervency of spirit to serve the Lord? Maybe you want to sign up for that ministry or another one. Am I fired up in service to Christ? Am I energetic and passionate in service to Christ? Am I boiling within in service to Christ? Underneath all of my fervency and my passions, is there genuine love and a desire to serve Christ? Well, what a dangerous two years. We've lived dangerous because we have the tendency to turn inward and look at ourselves. And when the churches closed down two years ago, we laid down our ministry, we laid down our giftings, we laid down our serving, and we walked away and we went home and we stayed in our pajamas. 
And some of us need to break that habit and serve the Lord. Be fervent in spirit. So important questions, and then we're going to close here. Time for us to check our hearts. When I am passionate about using my gifts, is it in service and submission to Christ? Or is it from some other self-centered motive? When I'm passionate about churches reopening and ministries resuming, is it passion that is in service to Christ? Or from some other self-centered motive? When I'm passionate about ending pandemic restrictions, is it in service and submission to Christ or from some other self-centered motive? When I'm passionate about protests and debates and theological clarity about certain things and health and safety, is it all in service to Christ? Or is it from some other self-centered motive. Oh, loved ones, this is our opportunity to overwhelm the chaos and the confusion that is out there in the world and so often fills our hearts, doesn't it? But to overwhelm the chaos and confusion with the power of true Christianity. Here's the word of God for us. Let us love one another as a family. Let us outdo one another in showing honor. You can start today. In fact, think about how you can start today. Think about how as you as we end this service and you're going to talk to the person next to you or walk out into the lobby, think about how you can honor them. Loved ones, let us repent of our complacency. Some of us need to repent of our complacency. Let us repent of our complacency and be fervent and passionate, set on fire, boiling within in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that this would mark your church. Increasingly so in the days to come. Let's pray together that it may be so. Father, we love you and we love your word. We thank you for the truth that comes to us today from Romans 12. We thank you that you are so faithful to speak to us a fitting word that we need to hear. And I'm trusting you now that you've taken Romans 12, 10 to 11 and you have applied it by the power of your Holy Spirit and you are applying it by the power of your Holy Spirit to the lives of these precious people in this church. And oh, how I pray that your word would take deep root in our hearts. And that everyone that's hearing the sound of my voice right now would be able to put their arms around your truth 
and that there would be love abounding in this place and honor abounding in this place for one another. And such a fervency of zeal and desire to serve the Lord in this place. I pray for this precious church family that every ministry need would be met. For the children's ministry to be full of workers. For every other ministry to be full of workers. Let it be so. For the glory of your name that we may serve the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, say amen.